We have been going through Mark here in our, in our services, the Gospel of Mark. If you've got a Bible, I'd encourage you to open it up and turn to Mark chapter 11. And we're going to start reading today um, at verse 27. I think Paul mentioned it earlier. We do have some, uh, some Bibles on the side here. Uh, if you want to grab one of those, you're welcome to, to grab that and take it with you. Uh, this is Mark chapter 11 that we're going to be reading, and verse 27 is where we're going to start reading from today. This is God's Word. And they came again to Jerusalem. And as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him and they said to him, by what authority are you doing these things? Or, or who gave you this authority to do them? So Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question. Answer me and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. And they discussed it with one another, saying, if we say from heaven, he will say, why then did you not believe him? But shall we say from man? <laughs> they were afraid of the people, for they all held that John really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus and said, we do not know. And Jesus said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. And then he began to speak to them in a parable. A man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it, and dug a pit for the wine press and built a tower, and then leased it to tenants and went into another country. When the season came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. So they took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Again, he sent to them another servant, and they struck him on the head and treated him shamefully. And he sent another, and to, to him they killed. And so with many others, some they beat, some they killed. And he had still had one other a beloved son. Finally, he sent him to them saying, they will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What will the owner of the vineyard do? I tell you, he will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Have you not read this scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And this was the Lord's doing. And it is marvelous in our eyes. So they were seeking to arrest him, but feared 
the people. For they perceived that he had told this parable against them. So they left him and went away. Let's just remind ourselves here a little bit of the context of this particular account of Jesus. It seems like many months ago, we were talking about Jesus' triumphal entry, um, where he entered into Jerusalem to the cries of the people, Hosanna, Hosanna. Um, You remember on that day that Jesus then when he entered into Jerusalem, went to the temple and and surveyed it. And then he and the disciples left that evening and went to Bethany. And then on the next day, they returned to Jerusalem. And Jesus on that way uh, saw a fig tree and wanted something to eat. And so went to the fig tree and saw that it bore no fruit. And he cursed that fig tree. And we talked about how that represented, that fig tree represented the temple system, uh, the, the, the temple there in Jerusalem, that, that it had all of the, the, uh, all of the signs of bearing fruit. It had all of the potential to bear fruit. And yet the people that went there to meet with God found nothing. It had been turned into this, Jesus then says, this den of thieves. And so Jesus and his disciples then went into Jerusalem, and we hear that we read the account of Jesus cleansing the temple. And then after that, uh, they went back to Bethany. And then the next morning, they were, as they were coming back into Jerusalem, they saw the tree that had withered all the way to the root. And Jesus had his teaching with his disciples about faith, about prayer, and about forgiveness. That all has happened within two days, even though it seems like so long ago that we first started talking about this. So we're still very much centered around this Jesus interaction with the religious elite about the temple, about how the temple has lost its fruit, how it has lost its role in and being a place where people can come to, to meet with God. Instead, it's a place of people being oppressed, of people being taken advantage of, of, of the religious elite using it to fill their own pockets, to get rich, rather than for them to be in that role of a mediator between man and God, to take people to a place where they could interact with God. And there was... No fruit there. So Jesus has just gone through this. He's he's not only come into Jerusalem as a conquering king. As the prophet Zechariah had talked about how how their king would come to you riding on a donkey, on the colt of a donkey. So they recognize, the religious elite recognize that Jesus is coming, is is declaring himself as king by choosing to enter into Jerusalem in that way. Jesus is also declaring himself to have authority over the temple by by, uh, cleansing it, by by calling out those that were abusing it for, for their own purposes. 
So, so they see that these are the things that Jesus is, is doing, the things that he's claiming. And so they, they, again, feel like they have him right where they want him. Because if they ask him this question about whose authority do you have to come into Jerusalem as king? When we look at the Old Testament, who appoints the kings? Primarily, it's God. God identifies those that, that He wants to put in leadership over His nation. But it is the religious leaders, whether it would be Samuel as the prophet or the high priest as later on, who would then anoint. They would be the ones who would speak on God's behalf and, and declare for all of the people who the king is. But Jesus didn't receive that anointing from the religious leaders. He came in on his own and took that role as king. What about, what about in the temple? Who has the authority to, to declare what the role of the temple is? What is to be done in the temple? Who has, who has the authority to, to make sure that the temple is being used and it's bearing fruit in the way that it's supposed to? God has that authority, but that was delegated authority that he then put in charge under the high priest. So, so if they ask Jesus, by what authority have you done these things? He either is going to say, by the authority from God, which would put him in a place of blasphemy. Because they would then be able to go to Scripture and say, God has appointed us as the ones who delegate, who give out that authority. And so you are blaspheming God, and, and they would be able to... to raise the people's concern against him and come against him and, and, and discredit him and get rid of him finally forever. If Jesus says any other authority, if he says by the authority of himself, then again he is blaspheming. And so they've got him. They've asked him this question, by what authority have you been doing these things? Thinking finally we can get rid of this thorn in our sides. But Jesus turns the table on them. Instead of answering their question, as they asked, he does a very Jewish thing, is by answering the question, by asking a question. And Jesus asked them, whose uh, from, from where was John's baptism? Was that from heaven or was that just John acting on his own as a human? And the interesting thing in this question that Jesus is asking <laughs> is it reveals that the religious leaders do not have the authority that they are supposed to hold. Their authority comes from God. They should be able to answer questions like this to be able to declare what is from God and what is from not. But did you see how they responded to Jesus? 
They started talking amongst themselves. And their concern wasn't so much whether they were answering for God. It wasn't about, well, what has God declared about John's baptism? Their concern was what would the people think? See, they were the ones who were supposed to have the authority from God. And when they spoke, they were to speak with the authority of God. But instead, they were deriving their authority from man. From public opinion. The very thing that they are accusing Jesus of. See, Jesus had already declared Himself to have divine authority in a number of different places throughout the Gospel here of Mark. We saw that Jesus had authority through His ability to be able to cast out demons. One of the very first uh, miracles that Jesus, that Mark records here, that Jesus, um, uh, that Jesus performed was to be there in the temple and to set free, or the synagogue, to to set free a man who was demon possessed that was there. And the people responded by saying, "What authority that even the demons hear and obey." Jesus had also declared his authority. His divine authority by being able to forgive sins. You remember the account of the paralyzed man that was being lowered through the, uh, through the ceiling. And, and Jesus, what's his first statement to the man? When he sees the faith of his friends in this man, he says, your sins are forgiven. You remember when we looked at that, we realized that there were uh, religious leaders from all over Jerusalem, Judah, um, Galilee, everybody had gathered because they had heard of this one who claimed to be Messiah. And they were there, and when they heard Jesus forgive sins, they said, well, now hold it. Only God can forgive sins. And Jesus then establishes His authority as the divine Messiah by saying, is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or get up and walk. But to show you that the Son of Man, that title that Jesus used most often for Himself, that goes all the way back to Daniel chapter 7, which, which identified the Messiah, the one that, that Israel was hoping that would come, that He was indeed God. That He was there in coming into, into the presence of the Ancient of Days, with all of the clouds of God's glory. And we know that it's only God that shows Himself in those clouds of glory. And so this one who was like a son of man came and received the kingdom from the Ancient of Days, a, a kingdom that would be eternal. And that's the title that Jesus kept on using for Himself, that He was the Son of Man. He was that divine Messiah that has been given uh, an eternal dominion over all of creation. So Jesus establishes Himself as uh, the divine Messiah. And you remember what happened. This is, uh, we talked about the, the importance of this moment. Uh, let me just 
take you back there. Turn back to Matthew chapter 2. Remember who is all here in this place. We have all of the priests, all of the scribes from Jerusalem, Judah, from all of the Galilee area that are here at the house checking Jesus out if He indeed is the Messiah. And Jesus has this interaction with Him. And, and in uh, Mark chapter 2 and verse 12, as Jesus says, In verse 11, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And the man rose and straightway picked up his bed and went out before them all. So that they were all, who does that exclude? Nobody. So everybody that was there, all were amazed and glorified God. You can't miss that. The religious leaders at this moment believed that Jesus was the divine Messiah. That He had the authority to forgive sins. They were ready to accept Him. They were ready to to crown Him as their divine Messiah, their King who would lead them into freedom from oppression, into the future, into the the kingdom that God had promised would be established on the day of the Lord. They were in. They glorified God. And then as we saw, Jesus then subsequently challenges their expectations of of who and what the divine Messiah is and and what He would do. And by the time we get to chapter 3 and verse 6, it says the Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against Him how to destroy Him. They knew He was God, but because He wouldn't fit into their mold their expectations, their desire of how God would act. They rejected Him. And the rest of the story plays out where they do everything that they can to try and destroy Him. Jesus had already established His divine authority. But here once again, Not only is Jesus' authority as God established in His ability to be able to to come in as King, to identify the temple and cleanse it from its sin, but also to be able to show the religious elite that they no longer had God's favor. Because they had rejected God's authority and were all concerned about the people's authority in their lives. And then Jesus says, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. (laughs) And then He tells a parable that tells them exactly by what authority He is doing all of these things. (laughs) 
It is a damning account. Have you, have you ever been going along in your life living living with with sin in your life getting yourselves away from what you know to be right and to come to scripture and it's like looking in a mirror god holds up this mirror to say to you you are off the mark that's part of the power of the Word of God, is it shows us how far we have slipped, how far we have, we have strayed from what God wants for us, from, from the best that He has called us to, the best that He has created us for. It's this, this truth-telling mirror that, that nobody can hide from. That's what Jesus does here for these religious elite. He brings them the Word of God that holds up this mirror for them so that they can see God loves these people. Jesus stands over Jerusalem and weeps for them. <laughs> says, how long? How I have longed to gather you like a, a hen gathers her chicks. Jesus wants the best for these people. He doesn't want to see them destroyed. And He's giving them another opportunity. In His grace and in His love for them, He holds up this mirror to say, watch out! This is you! The Master's Son has come. And if you're not careful, you're going to destroy Him and ultimately destroy yourself. This account talks about all of the the people in the past, all of the servants that God has sent in the past to, to try and, and, and speak truth into the lives of the people, to try and, and help the vineyard produce fruit like it's supposed to, uh, the, the, that there would be an opportunity for the temple to be that place where people can come to meet with God, that fruit that it was intended to bear. And whether it was prophets or priests that would come some of the kings, some of the, 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 the civic, uh, civic leaders that would come to speak into the lives of the people. How many have been chewed up and spit out by the people because they refused to hear the Word of God in their lives. For they perceived that he had told the parable against them. How could you miss it? 
right? How could they miss that this was them? That they were looking in a mirror. And yet still, they were more concerned about the affections of the people than they were about God's call on their lives. The quote that Jesus uses to conclude this parable comes from the passage that Paul read for us at the beginning of the service in Psalm 118. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. I don't know if you were listening closely uh, to what to, to all of Psalm 118, the passage that Paul had read. Uh, let's just go back to that for a second. Don't have record of, of who necessarily wrote this psalm for us. But it is certainly a messianic psalm. A psalm that speaks about Messiah. There are, there are aspects of it that, that the Jewish people had recognized were speaking about that eternal, that eternal kingdom that God was going to be established and that king who would reign over that eternal kingdom that God would establish. We look at verse 17. I shall not die but I shall live and recount the deeds of Yahweh. Yahweh has disciplined me severely, but He has not given me over to death. Probably a better translation is is that, that, that God has dealt with me severely. Not so much that, that, that there was discipline involved in this, but there was suffering. But not over to death. This is speaking of the, the, the one who would have that eternal authority over, um, over, the, uh, over the kingdom that God would establish. So here we have this, uh, this psalm that talks about Messiah that people recognized was speaking about Messiah. In verse 22, where Jesus was quoting from. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is Yahweh's doing. And it is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. This was a a, a psalm of celebration of of God establishing His, His Messiah, His King, His priest, His prophet, who would rule, who would guide the people, who would draw the whole nation into relationship with Him. And the people as they saw it, saw that it was God's hand and it was marvelous in their eyes. And Jesus uses this psalm of praise and thanksgiving to again point out how far the religious leaders had gotten. Because they were the builders that Psalm 118 was talking about, those who had rejected this cornerstone. And it was God 
who would establish Christ, Messiah, Jesus as this cornerstone. And the world would see it and it would be marvelous in their eyes. Uh, there are a number of other places throughout the Old Testament that uses this image of the Messiah as the cornerstone, as this stone that, that is the, the foundation for all of life, for God's kingdom. Uh, turn to Isaiah chapter 28. Isaiah chapter 28, verse 16. This is Isaiah quoting the words of the Lord. He says, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am the one who has laid a foundation in Zion, a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste, and I will make justice the line, and righteousness the plumb line. And hail will sweep away the refuge of the lies, and the waters will overwhelm the shelter. Then your covenant with death will be annulled, and your agreement with Sheol will not stand. When the overwhelming scourge passes through, you will be beaten down by it. As often as it passes through, it will take you. From morning by morning, it will pass through by day and by night, and it will be a sheer terror to understand the message. Here God was speaking through Isaiah to His people to warn them that God was going to establish that foundation for His people. But it would be a purifying stone. As other places in Isaiah, he talks about it as a stumbling stone. A stone uh, that, that for some becomes a foundation and others become something that they are crushed on. And he is warning them that, that this stone will come, it will be established, and it will purify them, and it will be a terrible purification because of their sin, because of their unrighteousness. Jesus is identifying Himself as that cornerstone. You know what a cornerstone it is. It is the stone that is being used that becomes the place from where all other measurements are taken. It is the, the perfect starting point for the rest of the building because it provides that plumb line to make sure that the building is straight up and down and has no lean. It is the, the square line to make sure that there are nice even corners all the way around, that everything gets measured off of that one point and everything finds its strength in that cornerstone, in that foundation. And that's who Jesus is. He is that cornerstone in the kingdom of God, that everything else is built from. The, uh, the, the uh, apostles picked up on that 
in a number of places. Paul writes about that in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. It says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Ready for this? Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. For everyone who is a follower of Jesus Christ, you are a part of that holy temple that is connected to that cornerstone that is held straight and true and plumb by that cornerstone. And because of our connection and our alignment with Christ, we then speak with the same authority as Christ. Not an authority that's based on, on us or anything that we have, but an authority that, that, that because we are connected with Him, we speak His words. That's, that's the, the amazing thing of, of being in relationship with Jesus Christ. We don't have to be uncertain. We don't have to try and test the waters of popular opinion to try and figure out what's the right thing to do. How do we respond? How is the, the culture around us? Uh, how can we fit in to make sure that we're, that we're not uh, offensive? We're not, uh, we're not going against the things that are popular in the world around us. We don't have to, to even be, be concerned about well, what are the, all the other churches doing? What are the, all the other churches saying about who God is and how we need to respond to these times and these places and in these ways? Each one of us is aligned through our connection with the cornerstone. And He keeps us plumb. And He keeps us true. He is building us uh, through the Holy Spirit into a holy temple, a place where God dwells. A place where people can go and meet with God. Where we can bear that fruit that the temple no longer holds. But instead, as a people of God, we can, we can be sure that, that when folks come and connect with us, that they will meet with God. They will encounter the living Savior. That they will encounter their only hope for true righteousness and purity and peace and joy and love. How are you aligning yourself? Have you fallen for the temptation like the, the priests and the religious elite did? They were more concerned about popular opinion, the, people, the, the authority that came to them from the people. Or have you aligned yourself with the cornerstone, with Christ? 
that you are immersing yourself in His Word so that, that when you speak, you are speaking His words? Are you in prayer seeking His Holy Spirit's leading and guiding in your life so that, uh, so that, you, that you know that, that His communication is coming through you? into this world, that you are representing Him well, that you are being that holy temple where people can encounter God for themselves. In these accounts, Jesus is divinely through His, through his position as the Creator as the Almighty God, is ending the authority and the role that the temple and the priests have been playing in the, in, in the world up to this point. And instead, He is establishing Himself as that cornerstone and inviting all who would follow, all who would trust in Him, to be aligned with Him. And to become that place, that dwelling place of God in this world. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I need to confess that too often I get I get more focused on, on the will of the people, on the authority for the people, rather than aligning myself with you and depending on the authority that comes from you. I find myself find myself messing up and, 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 and confusing what is right and what is wrong. I find myself getting drawn into places where I should not be because I'm more concerned about what other people think of me than what you think of me. Jesus, I, I confess that and I, I want to align myself with you, our cornerstone, our foundation. I pray, God, that you would be working in all of our hearts today. Lord, if there are those that are here today that have never aligned themselves, that have never received your gift of grace for themselves, where they have by faith put their trust in what Jesus has done for their, uh, to pay the price for their sins. Father, would you, would you in your spirit work in their hearts today that today would be that day. Today would be that day that they would, that they would recognize how far off they have gotten and look to you to become that, 
that, that cornerstone that will align them properly. Father, for others that have been your children for uh, for a long or short period of time, but the affections of the world have drawn them away. Would today be the day that your Spirit would align them again? That there would be opportunity uh, for repentance, for confession, for turning away and turning to you. And Lord, would we all go from this place as representatives of the temple of God, the place where you dwell, so that wherever we go, that you are there shining your light, extending your love, proclaiming your truth, and forgiving with your grace all those that we come in contact with every day through the week. Lord, guard us from becoming a a fig tree that bears no fruit. But instead, would would we be a place where people can meet with you and know you? We thank you. 